Over the next three weeks, um, we're going to be... I have a deep prayer for, for the next three weeks as we head up towards Resurrection Sunday. Uh, we're going to deal with, you ready for this? It, it's, the, it's the G's, alliteration a little bit. But you got, uh, we're going to deal with Gethsemane today. Next week we're going to deal with Golgotha. And then Resurrection Weekend we're going to deal with the Garden Tomb. So we're going to get your G's and all lined up and that's what we're going to deal with. Today we're dealing with the Garden of Gethsemane. And, and here's, I've got a prayer. I mean... As we deal, unpack the passion of Christ one more time, I, I never want it to become old. I, I really never want it to become old. And, and, and here's my prayer, and, and usually God speaks to me through different kind of word pictures. I've got scar on my chin here. It's not too noticeable uh, unless you shave it. And uh, every time I nick that scar, it's actually a scar that's been opened because it reminds me of two things. It reminds me of Dean Kunkel's head because I hit his head first of all, when we were kids, and split it open. I had to get sewed up. And then number two, it reminds me of a swimming pool in Waco because I hit the side of it and uh, ripped it open again and had to have stitches uh, a second time there. And every time I'm shaving, if I nick that thing, it'll bleed and it'll remind me of those things. My prayer is over the next three weeks that you get nicked, that the scar of, uh, of your remembrance of what Jesus did for you would somehow get nicked. And it would be a fresh, fresh look at what Jesus did for you. And we're going to be in Matthew chapter 26 today. So if you'll turn with me to Matthew chapter 26, and uh, we're going to look at this um, briefly today and just kind of unpack it a little bit as Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane. But uh, let, me, let, me, um, let me kind of give you a picture a little bit that will help you. Um, my son who is now, what, 33 or so, about to be 34. When, when he was a kid, he grew up in the, in the uh, 80s as a kid and, and uh, in the early 90s. He and I, it's always good to have a firstborn son. He, he and I uh, had, a, had something we, we loved back in the day, WWF. Now, somebody's going to say, what's WWF? Back in those days, it was the World Wrestling Federation, okay? Today, it's a WWE. It's gotten kind of raunchy in some, some areas, and I feel sorry for a generation that missed out on the WWF days because they actually had a Saturday morning cartoon, and, and you would watch a lot of things. Um, and so, But he and I were in the WWF, and any time they would come to Austin, to the Irwin Center, man, we'd get tickets, and we'd go, and, and I remember they were filming one time. It started like at 6 in the evening and went past midnight. I mean, it was, we were there the whole time, and it was, we loved the WWF. And, uh, but who we especially loved in WWF was Hulk Hogan, man. Uh, back in the day, Hulk Hogan was the guy. This was his prime. I mean, you know, and he was the, the good guy, drink milk, do all those kind of things. He was the guy. But you'd go and you'd watch Hulk Hogan wrestle, and, and, and you're watching it, and something would happen. I mean, he's getting the sap kicked out of him. He is getting down, and he's, he's got him in a sleeper hold or something, and he's down, and you're thinking, oh, no, they're going to kill Hulk Hogan. It's going to be the end. And the referee would come grab his hand, and he'd hold it up, and he'd go limp. Oh, no. And he'd do it again, and he'd go down. You're thinking, oh, no, Hulk Hogan's gone. And then he would hold it up that third time, and he would let go, and it wouldn't drop. And all of a sudden, he'd stick that finger up. And he'd start waving that finger. And then, man, it was going to happen at that point. It was going to, it was over, leg drop, boom, one, two, three, it was gone. 
And uh, it, you just knew it was going to happen. It didn't matter. You, you'd get caught up in everything, and it would, would happen, and it would it just the leg drop. It was over. Now, it, that, doesn't, that doesn't come into comparison to what our champion Jesus Christ did in the ultimate, ultimate battle that took place in the Garden of Gethsemane. And so what I want to do is I want to try to get you to have a fresh look at what really happened in that garden. And so if you'll look with me in Matthew chapter 26, beginning with verse 31, and let me read here, and you just follow along as we see what God has for us today. It says this, it says, Then Jesus told them, This very night you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Now, so that you understand what's going on is that they've, they've, uh, they've had the experience. There's no more. We, when we look at it this way, Jesus has performed his last miracle. He's done his last teaching. He has now actually done the last Passover that would ever be needed because he was going to be instituting a new covenant. But he's talking to the twelve. And he says, you're going to fall away. What that literally means is, is you're going to fall to pieces. You're going to stumble. You're going to be offended by what is about to take place. But verse, verse 32. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. And Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. In other words, before the dawn comes, you're going to be put in a situation where three times you're going to deny that you are part of me. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. And it's a locker room speech by Peter. He gets, ah, if everybody leaves, I'm not going to leave. And, and uh, the rest are, yeah, we agree with Simon Peter. We agree. But Jesus knows. Verse 36. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. Gethsemane literally means olive press, where you would take the olives and you would, they would be pressed to make the oil, the olive oil. And uh, in, in Israel, if you've been, and we've had the privilege of going a few times, is that the picture that you saw earlier was the picture of, of what Gethsemane might have looked like. Olive trees there, and, and if you go, there's the, the one thing about Israel, if you ever get to go, is that they've put churches on top of everything. So you've got uh, where the Temple Mount would be, would be over here, and then you'd go across the Kidron Valley, and then across the valley is what's called the Mount of Olives, and that's where the uh, the Garden of Gethsemane was. And, and uh, uh, we've actually been to a couple of places. Some say it was actually a, the garden area there, and, and there's actually a place that would have looked very similar in your mind's eye as to what it would have looked like. To be able to go in there and just spend a few minutes in prayer was incredible. But some think it may have been a grotto area, a rock area that was up over in another area. And we've been there too to, to see that. However you look at it is that it was a place where Jesus actually had the privilege of being able to get away. Uh, it's, it, it's interesting. William Barclay, who, who has written a set of commentaries, said, uh, said Jesus 
borrowed a donkey to come into the city. He borrowed a room to have the Passover. He borrowed a garden so he could go in to pray. He said, even at your darkest times, God provides an oasis of love. And I thought, man, that is really good. Jesus had people that even in his darkest time were there for him for certain things. And that's always good to know. But this is where Jesus had had an opportunity. He was welcome to go there, whoever's garden it was. He was welcome to go in there and pray. And this is where he goes with the 12, well, with the 11, because remember, Judas had already played his hand and he was, he was going to fulfill what eventually was going to happen. But, uh, this is what's taking place in the garden. So, verse 37, they're at the gate. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, this would have been James and John, along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled when he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed. This is what I call round one. There's going to be three rounds. This is round one. And he says this, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken away from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. He uses a term there that this is the only time that it's used in all of Scripture. He says, my Father. In other words, this is the most personal of prayers that you can conceivably have. My Father. In other times, he taught us to pray our Father, and he would say the Heavenly Father. But here he says, my Father. It shows the personal intensity of what he is going through. And he says, if it is possible, if this is the only way... This cup of suffering, then not my will, but yours be done. That's round one. Verse 40, he says, Then he returned to his disciples, and he found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Verse 42 is round two. He went away a second time, and he prayed, My father. If it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. And when he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They'd been up all night. Let's, let's, let's give them a little bit of a break here. They'd been up all night. You'd think they would be a little tired. So he left them and he went away once more and he prayed. Round three. The third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look. The hour has come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. I've read the story of the Passion thousands of times probably. We've seen the movie. One of the things that that hit me this week as I was prayerfully looking at this was this. What makes the garden, I mean, it's so intense. What makes the garden so intense And then we have the cross right behind that. What is the difference in the intensity of the two of those? And all of a sudden it hit me. In the garden, what is taking place is, is that you remember when Jesus was tempted way back after he was baptized, he was thrust into the wilderness. Satan tempted him three times. He tempted him, first of all, to turn the stones into bread. He'd been fasting 40 days. That's a great temptation. Next of all, he tempted him to go up to the pinnacle of the temple, jump off, the angels will catch you. And then thirdly was, Satan said, bow down to me and I will give you everything. I will give, you, give it all to you. And we look at those things and we're saying, what, what is that really, that temptation that's coming there out of Satan? Let me tell you, the, the, the temptation was not for Jesus' physical hunger. 
what he was saying is, basically, if you give people what they want, you turn, you give them bread, you give them enough stuff, and they'll follow you. You don't have to go to the cross. And then second of all, jump off the temple. The angels will catch you. Give them a circus act. They'll follow you. You don't have to go to the cross. And then thirdly, bow down to me. I'll give you everything, everything that's out there of, of, of this earth. You can have it. It's yours. You don't have to go to the cross. They'll follow you. The temptations from the devil were, were for, so that Jesus would not go to the cross. But Jesus knew that the cross was the only way. So he responds with Scripture and he puts Satan back in his, his path. And then it says this in Luke's gospel. Luke, Luke said this, is that when the devil had finished all these, this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. And that opportune time means the perfect time. The time when he was going to throw all his eggs in the basket is what was going to happen. And the garden is that time. So what is happening here in the garden is that Jesus is wrestling. Yes, he's wrestling with the will of the Father, but ultimately he's wrestling with the fact, is the cross the only way? And Satan is coming with this onslaught of you're going to be isolated, you're going to be alone, Father is going to turn his back on you. So the garden is the incredible, intense battle of Jesus against the enemy and his onslaughts. And so when Jesus finally finishes the prayer, it says, not my will, but yours be done. Victory had happened because he says, rise, let's go, because this is what awaits us. And so that's what's taking place in the garden. Now, the cross, which we'll look at next week, was the wrath of God being totally poured out upon Jesus, the sin of mankind being poured out upon Jesus. So you see the difference in these two conflicts? One is from the enemy coming onslaught. Don't go to the cross. Don't go to the cross. Don't go to the cross. I'm telling you, Jesus taught good things. He was a good example. But if he didn't go to the cross, you and I are lost. We are lost. And so Jesus knew that. But he knew that in going to the cross, he would be a curse for mankind. He was going to take on all the sin of mankind. And once again, the intense battle that's taking place in the garden. But Jesus knows that. He's not ignorant. He's not oblivious to it. And it's interesting that he takes the disciples there and he leaves most of them at the gate, but he takes Peter, James, and John a little bit deeper. And some people think, well, maybe they were more dense and they needed to be closer to him to understand that. I think they had the greatest influence, and Jesus knew that, and he was going to teach them something. And people may think, well, did he need them close because he needed their prayers and he needed these kind of things? I don't think so. I think he had them there for their own good because they were going to go through their own crosses and they needed to know how to deal with this kind of situation. So I don't think it's like, Peter, James, and John, I need you to be here with me. I need you to do this for me. Jesus was Jesus. Yes, he had humanity. Yes, he went through those struggles. But yet I think they had those three there for their... Uh, purposes and and think about this think about this and this just just hit me as i was reading this if you go back to peter's letters in the new testament he said this he says satan is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour well he knew that because he saw the ultimate of what was going to be taking place here but he knew that he was but a roaring lion and had lost his teeth because of what jesus had done and so here's what is taking place in the garden and this is the way i kind of look at it uh, MacArthur during World War II, General MacArthur, Douglas MacArthur, said this. He said, the enemy is in front of us, 
The, empty, the enemy is behind us. The enemy is to our left. The enemy is to our right. We have them exactly where we want them. And I think that's the way the garden works. Jesus knew what he was going through, and it was going to be an intense struggle, knowing that the cross was the only way. But, Father, if there's another way other than the cross, let it happen. Let it happen. And so the enemy is bombarding him here at this point, and Jesus has the enemy right where he wants him, even though there's the intensity of the battle that is going on in that garden. And listen, the reason we do not see the intensity is we do not think we're that bad that we needed him to go through that for us. We still think we're good people. We still think, ah, I'm not that bad a guy. Let me tell you, we're rotten to the core. Our heart is deceitful above all. Jesus knew that if he did not go to the cross, mankind would not be saved and could not be saved. So that is what the intensity of this battle is all about as Jesus goes to pray this prayer there in the garden. And and notice what happens. He goes and he begins praying. Luke's gospel says that he sweat drops of blood. It was that kind of anguish intensity that was going. It was hematidrosis is the is actually the medical term where you actually that the blood vessels burst and get into your sweat glands and then what happens is is that drops of blood were coming and it's all from the stress of the intent the agony of the moment that he is going through as he is crying out to the Father, My Father uh, you know, just that intimate relationship, my father, because he knew that if he was to go to the cross and take on all of the sin of mankind, it, it would be like the father himself even turned his back on him and he would be completely alone. And the disciples falling asleep are just a picture of his isolation, how much he was there for himself. And so he is going through this incredible anguish and, and pain. And it wasn't until he came to the point of ultimate surrender, ultimate surrender is when the victory came. Contrast that with the disciples. The disciples had all their confidence in themselves. We'll never leave you. Especially Simon Peter. We'll never leave you. I'll never leave you. Even though the rest of these yahoos leave you, I will not leave you. I will not do it. They might. I will not. And, of course, they're going to back themselves up. Hey, we're going to do it too. Man, they had it all in themselves. And what happened is, is because they had it all in themselves, they find themselves falling asleep. And here's Jesus going through the most intense struggles. And he comes back and he says, stay awake, stay awake, be alert, be alert. And he's teaching them something there. He is teaching them about prayer. He is teaching them about life on this planet, that there will be suffering, guys. There's going to be suffering, but you've got to stay alert. You've got to stay awake. You've got to. Here's a thought about prayer, though, I want you to get. Jesus is praying. So often, here's our prayers. God, do this for me, do this for me, do this for me. Uh, I'll come back when I have another list. God, do this for me, do this for me. I want you to think about something. Jesus' prayer was, God, if there's any other way. But I want you to think about prayer this way. Prayer is not bending God towards your will, but it's Him bending you towards His. It's you willing to come before Him instead of giving Him a Christmas wish list here, but to come before Him and say, God, I want to be in connection with you. I want what your will is. And that's what Jesus is praying. 
man, I, I, I can imagine the intensity of the moment. God, if there's another way other than the cross, please reveal it. But if not, your will be done. Your will be done. And spiritual victory comes to those that are alert in prayer. I, I, I want you to see something with me right quick. I, I want you to see the difference between self-reliance of the disciples and father-reliance in Jesus, okay? Because I think this is the lesson for us today, okay? This isn't just about remembering. It's about a lesson for us today, too. And I want you to hear this. Here, here is... Here is self-reliance. Self-reliance or self-confidence will lead to sleep. And then it will lead to temptation. And then it will lead to sin. And then it will lead to devastation. You see this in your life all the time. Because I know, I know a lot of people that says, oh, that can't happen to me. Man, I, me and Jesus, we're best buds, man. We're, we're incredible. It'll never happen to us and this kind of thing. Only to see that that self-confidence led to them becoming asleep which led to them being tempted, which led to sin, which eventually led to devastation in their life. And I want you to hear me on this one. I am afraid that the church in America today has become so self-reliant in our own man-made things that we have become sleepy. And because of that sleep, we're getting tempted. And because of that tempting, we're sin. And devastation is on our doorstep. I think that there is a cry for the church today to wake up Stay alert, just like Jesus is coming back saying, stay alert, wake up, wake up. We cannot rely on our own self-confidence because if that's going to happen, we will remain asleep and the temptation will come and we will fall. But what did Jesus demonstrate? Jesus demonstrated the full spirit. It was confidence in the Father, my Father. He came with confidence before the Father. And because of that confidence before the Father, he could have spiritual and moral diligence to stand the task because he knew it was not in him, but it was going to be in the Father. And because of that, he could resist. He could resist because of God's power flowing through them. And what happened was he walked in obedience, and because he walked in obedience, there was victory that took place. You see the difference? If we rely on our own self-strength, that we can do this on our own, devastation will come. But if we can come, my Father, I cannot do this. And because I cannot do it, my diligence is going to be in you alone. And because of that, I can stand strong because you're going to do it through me. And because you do it through me, I can walk in obedience. And because of that obedience, we will see victory. Because notice that in verse 46, it says, rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. And let me tell you, that is not, that is not negative. What is happening is he says the victory has been won. It has been won. Satan has been done away. And what happens is, is that next week we're going to talk about the cross. At the cross, he's going to have to take on, see, this is hard for us to understand. He's going to take on all the wrath and, and sinfulness of mankind is what's going to happen at the cross. But today we're looking at the garden and he's walking out in victory. But let me tell you something. You know what happened with Simon Peter? If you've read the story, you know what happens. What happens with Simon Peter is it says that he followed, followed Jesus and the arresting, but it says he followed at a distance. And he comes and he's somehow allowed by John's influence to get into the inner garden, I mean, excuse me, to the inner uh, uh, area, courtyard area, and he was able to warm himself at a fire. A little girl comes up to him and says, you're one of his followers. And he says, I am not. 
So he walks away. Some, he's asked again, surely you're one of his followers. Your voice gives you away. You're a Galilean. No, I am not. I know. I saw you with him. You're one of his followers. I am not. And at that time, it says that the rooster crowed. The dawn was breaking. At that moment, according to Luke's gospel, Jesus was being led across the courtyard. And it says they turned and their eyes met. And in the meeting of their eyes, it says that Peter went out and he wept bitterly. He wept bitterly. Now, let me say something about that weeping. That was actually his salvation. He had a breakthrough at that moment with his weeping. Sometimes we see weeping and repentance as weakness. Let me tell you, that is where your life comes from. Being able to live in brokenness before the Father to say, I need you. And listen, I'm not tearing down your self-awareness or your self-image or anything like that. I'm just saying that is spiritually where you find your strength. Simon Peter, gratefully to the Lord, is restored completely by Jesus before he ascends. But we see that incredible agony that he went through because of his self-confidence led to devastation. But yet Jesus' God-confidence led to victory. Let Let me wrap this up. Suffering happens, people. It will happen in life. It will happen to Christ's followers. It will happen. You will find yourself in places of suffering. But I want to I put it to you like this. Suppose there is a young lady, a Christian young lady, and she is, she is following after Jesus. And this hunk of humanity, the best looking of the best looking, starts to be her suitor and to pursue her, but he is not a follower of Jesus Christ. She has a choice. She can either... Embrace this and think it will change later on. Or she can say, Lord, this is not your plan. I am going to cut it off and I will handle the suffering now. In other words, there will be a moment of suffering because of the dislodging. But yet it's not compared to the suffering of marrying this guy and then having a family. And they go through all of the, the hell of the, the, what they're going through. Suffering is going to happen. You make the choice. You're either going to do it God's way or you're going to do it man's way. And you're going to either find victory in the momentary suffering or you're going to find a, a defeat by not giving in to God's way. Last question I have for you is this. Is there anything in your life right now, and this is painful because I've had to wrestle with this all week, Is there anything in your life right now that the Lord is saying, listen, it's time for you to let that down. It's time for you to let go of that. That's keeping you from your closeness with me. It could be your own uh, uh, self-indulgence. It could be your your self-capacity that I can do this on my own. It could be any number of things. But I'm just asking you, as you stand before the Lord even today in worship, and He is saying, you're going through your own garden experience, and, and, and He is saying... Listen, this is keeping you from me. Is there a willingness to say, okay, God, not my will, but yours be done. Yours be done. I want you to bow with me in prayer. Lord, I pray that by your spirit we have unpacked what you've gone through. But Lord, I pray that there is a a voice from your Holy Spirit speaking to us today that says, wake up, be alert, be alert. See what's going on around you. Lord, give us ears to hear and to see, eyes to see those things that we've clung to other than you. Lord, show us. And God, put me in the front of the line. Show me, God, where my arrogance and pride and 
self stuff has kept me from you. Lord, it doesn't mean I won't suffer. It just means that I'll be in the center of your plan. So Lord, there's some people here today that could be on the verge of devastation or there could be people today on the verge of victory. God, call them to you. Let's, let's stand, church, if we could, and, and just kind of shake the cobwebs out. And, you know, on a day like today, there's no mistake you being here. Many people were unable to make it because of the weather, and so you're here. God had a purpose. We're just going to open this up briefly. I know our time's gotten away, but I, I, I want to open this up. So that you can deal business with God today as you wrestle in your own garden of Gethsemane. I want to ask the prayer team and pastors and elders to make themselves available. If you just need prayer today, you come. Lord, supper's off to my left. You just come. Father, over the next few minutes, may we do business with you. Thank you for the incredible intensity and agony that you broke through. Not, not your will. Father's will. Speak to us now in the Lord's name. In Jesus' name. Amen.